Welcome to episode 591 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games, sometimes audiobooks, occasionally a physical book. But uh, Josh, you know, uh, we haven't talked in a while. It has been a really long time. Um, but people probably think that we talk fairly regularly. And we used to talk like it seemed like almost daily. Um, but that has not been the case over the last few weeks uh, because I was gone on vacation for a couple of weeks. And uh, unfortunately, we just did the math. It has now been five weeks since we've done an episode of this show. That is by far the longest that we've ever gone in between episodes. Yeah. And we apologize for that. But vacation plus um, there just wasn't anything to talk about the week before I went on Oh, right. Vacation. It wasn't all vacation. It was also just like, you know, dead zone of right. news during uh, a really dry spell. So, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, so when people go on vacation after not having vacation for a while, they call it the revenge vacation. So is is this our revenge podcast? I, I've never even heard that phrase before, but, <laughs> but sure. I don't know what we're taking revenge against, but um, okay. All right. <laughs> We're apparently taking revenge against not having listener feedback because we've got a bunch of listener feedback. I Good. Guess. Yeah. So a, a lot. And we're going to dig into that right now. Some of these are going to be summarized. That's okay. Uh, we got some that were fairly long, loved reading the stories, but probably still too long to read the whole thing on the podcast. So uh, we will dig right into these now, starting with one from Jeff in Texas. He says, hello, I've listened to your show since the Ian Dixon days. That's a long time. I used to be an avid user of Windows Media Center and think it was the best TV experience available and still would be if it was still supported. However, I haven't used it in years. Now I use Plex along with an assortment of streaming services. I also still pay for cable. All of these get very expensive and I'm nearing retirement. I will be making some changes. I don't think the following idea is viable, but I would jump on it in a heartbeat. I would love to see a device similar to a home theater PC that would allow me to pay a monthly subscription, say $100, and then allow me to choose whichever streaming services were available to me, like Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, Hulu, the Spectrum app, etc. I would be able to have an interface capable of showing all of those sources, let's call it O Media Center, and that interface would also keep track of the shows I chose to watch. The $100 would then be apportioned appropriately to the service that provided the original programming and the rest divided among the rest. Obviously, privacy issues with the tracking, but if you don't like it, don't subscribe. There is no way this is ever going to happen, but it sure would be nice if the entertainment choices would progress to the point where they were 15 years ago. Jeff in Texas. <laughs> Jeff, I don't think that we're actually that far from what you're describing, except for the, the part where you're divvying up how you're paying for things and stuff. A lot of what Jeff is describing, you could achieve with a 
a Chromecast with Google TV, right? You could subscribe to a bunch of these services. Google TV does a pretty good job of tracking what it is you're actually watching, suggesting things that are similar to that, uh, letting you easily watch the next episode. Apple TV also does a pretty decent job of that stuff. Yep. Or so I've been told. So you do have that. And while I, I think it's, it's fun to, to snarkily poke fun and say that it'd be nice if in 2022, we could do the things that we could do back in 2010. Sure. Like, yeah, you did have more control over things in 2010 with windows media center, but you also had a lot fewer things to control. They're just, like we didn't have most of these streaming services. We had in 2010 Netflix. And maybe Amazon Prime had launched by then, maybe Hulu. Like now they're everywhere. We didn't have things like YouTube TV uh to be the the replacement for cable TV and stuff like that. So I, I get it that it's definitely more complicated. And frankly, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is that you could make a reasonable argument that streaming services killed home theater PCs. Hmm. Oh, yeah. But streaming boxes for sure. Well, I think streaming services because, like, I wouldn't build a home theater PC as the basis of my entertainment center anymore because I can't include streaming services. Without a keyboard. Even with a keyboard, it gets pretty terrible. Right. Like I, I can't like use, I don't know, like Plex or Windows Media Center type thing and have it like easily show me everything that's in Disney Plus and Netflix and all this stuff and then just easily pop into those and easily pop out. Like it just doesn't work. Well. It's not something that you would give to another family member. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's funny because what you're describing is what Modulus is trying to do, right? for the tune of like $4,000 for their box. But I, I read Jeff's message with a, 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 like a a comrade ship to some extent, because I, I do wish we could get back to when it was simpler. And I feel like things like media center did a pretty good job of making it simpler particularly in integrating live TV as a thing that was just as important as your music or just as important as your sources for movies or whatever else. And I don't really feel like we're there yet. I don't, I think maybe Amazon is probably the only vendor that has created a structure that looks at live TV as a thing and then the movie and TV services as a thing and lets you get between each of those relatively easily. Google also maybe does it. Google's dongle does it to some extent. If you're using Google's TV service, TiVo tried to do it. Nobody cared. Uh, I, I really do feel like we're at the point where the thing that makes this easier is the company that figures out how to pull it all together. And that's what he's really getting at is, mm-hmm. you know, in the olden days, you had cable, maybe you had an HTPC and media center, and it all kind of came together in one place. And now it's all over the place. You have all these different subscriptions. You have to manage them all separately. I like your suggestion about maybe getting those subscriptions through your uh, your your 
dongle or box that you use for streaming because that does make things easier, but then that also limits how and where you can access those services. You have to then do it through that device's interface. So for example, I can't watch Paramount stuff from a Paramount app anywhere. I have to watch it through Apple TV. Now, luckily, Apple TV is on pretty much everything now, but that, you know, that's one of the limitations. It is more complicated. It it would be great if it were simpler. I agree with his sentiment. I don't know how we get there. I don't know if we will get there. Yeah. And while in some ways it is more complicated, we we have so much more because of it. Uh, when, when I was running Windows Media Center, I, I did have all of my music there. And that was... I don't know, 80 artist of, of music. I don't, it wasn't that much. Now I have Spotify and I have everything I could possibly imagine and more on every device. And it's super easy to use. And while the Spotify interface is different than the Disney TV or sorry, the, the Disney plus UI, is it that much different or, or from sling sling TV? Uh, is it really that complicated for us to? From the home screen, click the Sling TV button for live TV, and to go home and click the Spotify button to get to the music? I don't think it's that complicated. I think the most complicated thing is, I want to watch show X, and I have no idea which of these streaming services it's on. That's That, I feel, is the only major complicated part. And the search interfaces are getting better on these things for that problem. Yeah. Yes, if you buy into the idea that we have to get these services through brands, right? Like, like that's the thing that I feel like Media Center did better. That's the thing that's like, no one should have to know that you need to click the YouTube TV button to get to live TV. There should be an easy path to live TV on every damn device, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. But but not everybody has live TV. In fact, most people don't. Like most of the people who are just cord cutters and just using these streaming yep. devices don't have a live TV yep. service. Yep. So they wouldn't even care about that button. Yeah. All right. So well, anyway, we're going to run out of time if we spend yes. this much time with everybody <laughs> who wrote to us. So right. But that was that was nice. Uh, so next up, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Josh and Richard. I was a late media center adopter and used media center for about four or five years as it began to fade away. I went back to cable boxes for a bit before dropping cable and using over the air channels. I then tried Sling TV for a couple of years. Switching to Sling didn't seem to save me any money compared to bundling cable and then internet. So I went back to over the air again. The main benefit was that when I traveled, I could take a Roku and have my TV content with me without having to use a crappy cable box at the hotel. Yep, that's a big benefit. I've recently been subscribing to all of the services ending in Plus, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, <laughs> Peacock, Amazon, Netflix, and buying a few seasons of shows from iTunes. I also have Spotify, Hulu, and ESPN bundle, which sounds weird, but we'll get to that. This is what I'm hoping you can help me with. I want to drop Spotify and switch to Apple Music. Well, that's that's your first problem. Just stick with Spotify. No, just hey kidding. Now. He says, Spotify was the one offering the bundle that included Spotify Premium with ad-supported Hulu. 
Then I would like to see if I could switch to the Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus bundle. Will I need to create all new accounts to do that? Or can customer service relink existing accounts with a new service? I found picking up the streaming services has provided a lot of good content at a much lower price than the approximately $85 a month I was paying for Sling TV to mindlessly channel check for something to watch. They really seem to know how to package the channels you want to make you spend that little extra for those three other channels that aren't part of orange or blue. (laughs) So his big question there, can you drop the Spotify and Hulu bundle, but still keep your Hulu account while signing up for the Disney plus Hulu plus ESPN plus bundle? Right. And I think I have an answer. Okay. From my experience signing up for this bundle, since I already had a Hulu account and I already had a Disney account and I already had, well, no, of course I didn't have an ESPN account. I wasn't, that wasn't even going to be funny. <laughs> so I, I tried calling Disney and they couldn't help me. Hulu could help me. So my recommendation is call Hulu's support and work with them and they should be able to move the account that you have without losing, because that was my big thing is I don't want to lose all the history that I have spent literally years accumulating for what I've watched, what I like, what I don't like and all that stuff. Right. So that's important. And if you go through Hulu, they should, I can't guarantee it, but they should be able to retain that and move that for you. They were able to move the account that I already had into the bundle that I had just purchased and and ensure that I could retain all of my account stuff. Yeah. And the Disney and ESPN one probably will be fine if they're not. Well, at least there isn't really that much on Disney anyway. And every time I've ever used an ESPN app on any device anywhere, including web browsers, I have to re-log in and reselect all of my favorite teams and all of that sort of garbage. So you're probably just stuck on on the ESPN plus one. But uh, again, I don't think ESPN plus has any of that sort of algorithm type stuff and and preferences and and all of that anyway. So Hulu, I think, is the main one there that you want to be concerned about. And I I think Richard's right that you're going to be able to transfer that stuff around. Yeah, cool. All right. Next up, it's from Mike. This is one I summarized, but it was it was really good. Uh, basically, Mike was a longtime Windows Media Center user, and he mostly just wrote into us because on the last episode, uh, we were talking about Cable Card and whether you could still use Cable Card for some of the uh, HTPC DVRs because we weren't sure what what cable companies were copy protecting and what they were no longer copy protecting, and. He said that he uses Comcast in the Bay Area, and Comcast only puts copy protection on premiums like HBO. And that's how it used to be. Comcast basically didn't, like uh, around the country, they would only copy protect the premium channels, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, that sort of thing. Um, But I wasn't sure if that was still the case because I haven't looked into it in like 10 years. So fortunately, that sounds like that's still the case with Comcast, which is a great tip from Mike. But here's another really cool tip, something that I had never heard of before. He told us about a utility called Seton Proxy, 
and it's a device that allows you to use a Seton cable card tuner, regardless of which one it is, whether it's the, the PCI Express one, USB, or the Ethernet version, and run an application on your Windows PC and make that Seton tuner appear to the rest of your network as a Silicon Dust HD Home Run Prime tuner. And the reason you would want to do that is because things like Plex, MB, and NextPVR all support the HD Home Run Prime tuner. They don't support the Seton tuners. So you can have a network-based Seton cable card tuner running for all of these other services that do support the Silicon Dust tuners. And if you're thinking, yeah, but that probably means I have to run a Windows 7 PC and all of that stuff. Nope, this runs on Windows 10. It does not require Windows Media Center. None of that. It's just get the get the card working. The, the version of card you have might require slightly different drivers or firmware. It's all listed on the GitHub page for this site or for this utility. And it just works, which sounds really cool. That's you, amazing. Yeah. If you've got a seat and tuner sitting in a drawer somewhere and we're wanting to, to try out some of this stuff, but couldn't because HD home run primes are basically impossible to get. Here's your solution. Yeah. This is amazing. I mean, it's basically allowing it to impersonate an HD home run prime so that you can then use it with all of the software that uses that device. That's amazing. I love yeah. this. It's so cool. It's so cool. All right. All right. One more. And this one's from Gary. We haven't heard from Gary in a while. And we now know that that's because he's apparently been on an audiobook listening binge and found that the algorithms that recommend audiobooks keep you hooked on one after another, after another, after another. But after his podcast hiatus, he is back and he's challenging us a little bit on our Plex bias. Gary wrote a lot. I'm going to really, 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 really summarize it. But he said that he has been using JRiver for years and that after quite a bit of trial and error, he set up a box that uses JRiver on Linux and that he's now using JRemote, which is an app that runs on iOS to control it all. So he has a laptop based on Linux running JRiver, accesses his music and other media, and he can control it all with the app that lets him see the artwork for the music and select what he wants to play and everything else. It's a really cool setup that I probably never would have even imagined. Josh, I ask you this question. Did you even know that JRiver was still around? I haven't looked into JRiver in a long time. It, it's it's been a few years for sure. And and he's he's right to call it a plex bias, but I I, th I think that we're at least consistent, you know, back in, <laughs> right? Because like back in 2009, when, when this whole thing started, um, when, when the DMZ started, at least, we were Windows Media Center fans over the biggest competitor at the time was Sage Media Center. Mm -hmm. And Sage was good and Sage was very powerful, but the UI was never great. 
And you and I were both huge Windows Media Center fans because while it wasn't quite as powerful, it was beautiful and simple and everything just worked really, really well Yep. without tons of tweaking. Like there was the option of lots of tweaking, but you didn't have to. Right. And, and J-River is very much following in Sage's footsteps. J-River is incredibly powerful. It has way more features than any of those other services have ever had. And if you are like a card carrying audiophile, like J River is your it, it it's your jam. Like go just go and get J River and and spend a thousand hours getting it exactly how you want it, and you'll be in love. <laughs> and but, but that's one of the things that he talks about is that that bit perfect audio, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's there and it's and it's a good solution for the extreme power user. But that's that's not us. And I don't think that's most people. But you know, considering considering all of the other conversations we've had about home theater PCs tonight, like maybe maybe that's where that market's going. Maybe the home theater PC market is going towards just that super hardcore niche because you're not getting all of your streaming services and all of the other stuff that we are finding to be so much more convenient about just plugging in a Roku or an right. Apple TV or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely fallen into that. This is more convenient bucket. Right. And back in the day, I would go through whatever it took to get everything on the server and to be able to have things the way I wanted it, but I didn't want to spend a ton of time doing it. I used to use MB. I had tried MB, and but before it was MB, when it was Media Browser, right? As a Windows Media Center plugin, <laughs> as a Media Center plugin, and I didn't think it was as good an experience as Media Center, even though it did extend the capabilities of Media Center. So ultimately, I gave up, stuck with Media Center. When that went away, went to TiVo. Now I'm. I'm just using an Apple TV and a Google TV device, and I'm happy with that. But I get, I get, I do get that there are folks that still like this. I don't know if there's like a J River app that I could run on my Apple TV. Would I want to do that? Would I care to do that? Probably too much work for me, <laughs> right? But that's that's not an HTPC solution, which I think no. is what he's going for. All no. right, so. He has what he's he he believes is probably a moral to the story, and he he even agrees that we may question if this is really a moral or not. But he says one triplex on Linux, two you can use it on a bunch of different types of hardware if you're using Linux, right? You have all sure. these different options, including laptops, laptops, and dongles, and hobby boxes, and all sorts of stuff like that. <laughs> three, why always Plex? <laughs> he asks, which he counters with four, try J-River. I, I tried J-River once a long time ago and and spent what seemed like a considerable amount of time. A, a thousand hours, apparently. And, and could not even figure out how to get this thing set up and working. So, <laughs> Well, and, obviously you're going to want to have a, you know, you're going to want to be a tinkerer. Yes. If you're going down this path. Yeah, and considering I don't have a home theater PC at all anymore, sorry, Gary, probably will not be trying out J-River. <laughs> but there's an option for people. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Yeah. Again, if you are the hardcore tinkerer, and especially if you're like really into the the details of, of uh, audio file type things or uh, really specific video codecs and things like that, then J River is absolutely worth looking into. But if if you just want something easy and quick to set up and point your movies and your music folder at Plex is a pretty decent solution. <laughs> you may remember if you've listened long enough that I fought Plex. I was against it. I didn't like it. Yeah. They went through a bunch of really bad interface experiences. It was too complicated. The naming didn't work. And then it just evolved really well. Yeah, so. for sure. All right. Well, let's move on with the news then. And we will start off with uh, kind of an, another history sort of post from our friend Dave Zatz over at Zatz Not Funny. Uh, apparently, Charter Cable... I don't know. Are they number two in, in terms of uh, cable companies in the U.S.? They're enormous. They're really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely one of the biggest. Uh, started sending out messages to all of their, probably all of their cable card customers, but you know that's pretty much all of their TiVo customers, to tell them that they're eventually ending support for cable card and that they've got options, but their options are use an Apple TV or use a cable box. And that's it really. Uh, But they are going to make this a little bit uh, easier on you financially. If you want to use an Apple TV and and why Apple TV? Well, because Charter actually has an Apple TV app. It's not on other services. It's only on Apple TV, as far as I know, where it's, it's a streaming app for their live TV and DVR service. So it's like a a YouTube TV or a sling or, or something like that, but it's their own app for their service on Apple TV. And if you want to go the Apple TV route, they will give you 50% off an Apple TV. Or if you just want to go the the easier route uh, with no upfront cost, they'll just give you a cable box and they won't charge you for it for 24 months or two years. And this is not all that surprising. Uh, the, no. the FCC said a couple of years ago that basically they weren't going to require cable companies to uh, always have an option of cable card for people because the retail set box set top box market that that market died a while ago <laughs> and so we we expected this to be coming sooner rather than later and and here it is and frankly even TV, even TiVo doesn't really push their their cable card boxes anymore all of their marketing is behind their stream 4K streaming stick it's funny when this came out, I was trying to think, okay, great. Where's, when's the last time that I saw a cable TiVo box in a big box store that I noticed that they actually still stocked and sold <laughs> TiVo boxes. And the TiVo edge is the last TiVo cable box that has been out. And that's what, four or five years old now, I believe. It's been a while. They haven't really revved that. So we're probably seeing the end of that type of device anyway. This is, though, kind of like, and I I can't take credit for this because some other journalist mentioned this, but this is kind of like that moment when Steve Jobs said, yeah, we're not going to put Flash on the iPhone. Yeah. And it was the death of Flash. Right. So 
I, I think this is probably the end of the third party TiVo cable box going forward. One uh, clarification, because this is not at all obvious from all of the writings about this. Charter is the company behind the Spectrum TV service. So if you have Spectrum, this affects you. If you're not familiar with Charter, that's because their customer-facing brand is Spectrum. Now, Spectrum does have apps on some TVs. Like, I think the, I know the Samsung app has a TV, mm. uh, a TV app for Spectrum. I know the Apple TV does. I don't know if other dongles do or not. Well, obviously, they're not going to buy you a new TV to be able to watch this, right? So no. they're going to give you a discount on a box. Uh, go the box route, right? I think we're at the point where you don't want to be encumbered, even if, if it is free for two years, to a cable company's cable box. We're way past that. For sure. For sure. Get the Apple TV. You'll be happier. Cool. All right. Well, uh, sticking with boxes that stream things, the NVIDIA Shield TV got an update uh, now to, uh, exp yeah, NVIDIA Shield TV experience, I think it's 9.1. Yeah, it is 9.1. I should know this because every time I turn mine on, it says, click here to install experience 9.1. <laughs> I have not installed it yet. Uh, partly because the last big update they pushed out broke a bunch of stuff. Oh. Uh, like Plex servers and things like that. So th this isn't, th that was partly, maybe mostly, because it was updating a major version of Android TV. This isn't doing that. It's still Android TV 11. But regardless, I didn't feel the need to, to rush out and, and uh, install this update just yet. But there are a couple of useful things for some people and, and specific use cases. So the, the first big new feature is auto low latency mode, which you've probably only really heard me talk about uh, with regard to games because low latency uh, only really matters if you've got a controller in your hand. And because that latency is between your game controller and the, the frames being rendered on the screen. So... Uh, if your TV supports auto low latency mode and you switch to a gaming or video conferencing app on your NVIDIA Shield TV, it will now automatically switch it to the game mode on your TV, which further reduces latency, uh, but also typically decreases video quality settings. So when you leave the game, the auto low latency mode also switches back out of gaming mode back into the, the, the settings that you did have on, on your TV at that time. The other feature that they're adding is night listening mode. This is not anything that's brand new uh, to the market, but it is a nice feature to have. It's basically a mode that will boost dialogue volumes and reduce the volumes of really loud things like explosions and car crashes and gunshots and things like that. So that basically everything is about the same volume level, except for maybe the, the dialogue is a little bit higher so that you can still make out the dialogue of what you're watching. And this is so that if, if you're watching a movie or show at night and there are other people asleep, you're probably like 
got a death grip on your remote control because you're constantly turning the volume up and down so that you don't wake everybody up, but so that you can still hear people talking. Night listening mode theoretically solves that problem for you. Yeah. Now, this is great. I, I, I wish more services made this crazy easy to get to because all too often, Doctor Who's a great example of this. Mm. Actually, pretty much anything with a British accent. I need to listen really closely. And when there's action and it's an action show, that's always really loud. And then the dialogue is harder for me to understand and I need it turned up and I'm aging and I have tinnitus. So my hearing is not that great. I love this kind of feature. And I like I'm getting to the point where I feel like just like closed captioning, I hope we get to a point where most of the services that offer this make this a really quick thing to get to because it took about a decade to make it fast to get to closed captioning. Right. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Does Apple TV have a feature like this? Yep. Okay. I figured they would. And is it easy to get to? Of course not. No, no, no. You have to get out (laughs) of your app. You have to go into settings. You have to turn it on in the audio menu. I mean, no, no, it, it is not even remotely easy to get to. No. Well, now I need to go install this on my NVIDIA Shield TV and find out how easy it is to enable. And I'll get back to you. Good, good. Cool. All right, another quick update on Bally Sports Plus. I think we talked about this on the last episode, but that was five weeks ago, so who can remember? Uh, Bally Sports Plus is a regional sports network streaming service. So if you're into sports and you're in a region that has Bally Sports, then you you know. And if you're not, then this story doesn't apply to you. So. Uh, Bally Sports has uh, access and the rights to sports television on, I believe it's like 13 to 15 markets around the U.S. Um, And they have made their own streaming service. So this does not require a cable subscription any longer. And it's available now. So we've got all the details and and we've got a, a link to an article from Streamable that gives all of the details. but. At a high level, this is going to cost you $20 a month or $190 a year, which is a little bit of a discount. That's like 15 and change per month. More than most companies give as a discount, right? So that's a yeah, good thing. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, and if you're thinking like, that's ridiculous. Well, it, it is at least giving you access to all of the sports. So like Detroit is a region that uses Bally Sports. And if you're in Detroit and you sign up for this, you would get access to the Tigers, baseball, Pistons, basketball, and the Red Wings. So you're getting three sports. So if you care about more than one sport, then this might actually be cheaper than subscribing to like NHL TV or NBA TV or anything like that, because you're getting multiple things for for the same price. There are a couple of weird exceptions. South Florida has two different Valley Sports Networks because they have uh, like there's the Miami market and the Tampa market. And so like, if you want to watch all of those teams from South Florida across those couple of markets, you actually have to subscribe twice. No way. Yes. You would have to subscribe to, to both of the, the South Florida ones. So that would be $40 a month. If you care that much, that's a little weird, but it's probably a little bit of a, you know, an edge case. Uh, the other thing is that, if 
you know, for when we talk about things like NBA TV or whatever, those services are not meant for people to watch their local teams because of services like Valley Sports. They have the rights. So if I lived in Pittsburgh, I couldn't use NBA or NHL TV to watch Penguins games because they're on AT&T Sports in, in Pittsburgh. And so they have local blackout restrictions. There are no local blackouts because you're watching it from the company that has the rights. Uh, you can also still watch outside of market, but there's some extra restrictions in there. Like you can't just like never be in that market. You do have to actually be in that market occasionally. Uh, but again, more details on that. And then in terms of what devices and stuff can you watch this on? Basically everything. They have apps for Apple TV, Android TV, Amazon Fire TV, iOS, Android, and Roku is coming later this month. So you should be able to watch it on pretty much anything and a, a desktop web browser. So there's your Bally Sports Plus fix. It's available for you. I, I think this will be a good solution for some people, but it's obviously a, a fairly limited market in that it's only the areas where Bally Sports operates. And you do kind of need to be um, interested in watching multiple sports for this to really make sense financially. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not excited about this. I'm not a sports ball person, but I'm not excited about this regardless because it just reinforces the whole locked down licensed access to stuff like this. I do think it's a bit of a miss that they're not available on Roku, which is still, I think, the most popular streaming device available. But they will but, be soon, like this month. Yeah, and Roku probably has their hands out looking to <laughs> make sure that they get their fair share, right? Yeah. Because that's what they do. Right. And right now, there's only baseball. So if if you're missing a couple of weeks, and maybe baseball is your biggest thing. I'm not trying to say anything bad about baseball. Sorry, folks. But it's only one of the, the three sports are in season right now. If this would have been two months ago, three months ago, all three of these sports would have been available and you might've been missing out if you're a Roku user, yeah. at least now it's only one. All right, let's move into some audio news. Uh, some, some pretty quick ones here. A couple of stories from Spotify. First off, they have spent a lot of time and, and research looking at how people use music apps and then want to find out about concerts. Makes sense. Uh, a lot of big music fans, myself included, love live music. And basically, you open up Spotify, you're like, oh yeah, I love this artist. I wonder if they're playing locally. I don't look in the Spotify app because it hasn't been a good experience. You open up a web browser and Google their webpage or whatever. Well, they've done a lot of work to make this a whole lot better. So for some people, you can just see this already inside of the app. Um, if you're not seeing a section in the app right now for concerts, then if you just do a search for live events, it'll show up as a genre. It's kind of weird, but just click the live events genre and it takes you to what what is called live event feed. And it's it, it it's a, a section of the app that gives you concert recommendations based on the music you listen to and the area that you are in. So You know, I'm in Northwest Ohio. 
I frequently go into Southeast Michigan, uh, you know, the Detroit and Ann Arbor regions for concerts. Uh, when I went to the live event feed section, it showed concert recommendations from lots of bands I listened to all throughout that region. And I actually found a couple of concerts that I didn't know were happening that I am potentially going to go to now because I didn't know they were a thing. And it's it's just a much better experience. And they, they've added uh, in more integrations with more of the concert ticket uh, websites where you can buy them so that you can just click on a button and go straight to the website where you'd be able to buy those concert tickets. Uh, there's also notification settings that you can go into so that you can get uh, app notifications when there are new concerts for bands that you like. You can get email notifications about all of this stuff, or you can turn off all of that stuff if you don't care. Um, it's it's a nice new experience. I like it. I'm in the don't care camp. I don't think I got the live music gene. Huh. I'd love it. I just absolutely love it. Uh, what's the last concert you went to? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That's a really good question. Probably probably Prince. When was that? Maybe about 15 years ago. Incorrect. Incorrect. You're, you're wrong. I'm wrong? You and I have been to two concerts together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Sure. All right. But those, sure. Okay. Those were events that we went to that had performances there. That's true. Sure. That's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I can't for remember the anyone one who's wondering, that would be uh, when we're at CES and we've gone to parties that have had performers. Yes. Yeah. So it was Blink-182 one year and why am I blanking on the rapper's name? Uh, Mac and something. Macklemore. Macklemore. Yes, that's it. That was yeah. fun. They were both really good. You didn't like Blink-182 at all. No, not I at all. But I really enjoyed Macklemore. That was a yeah. lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, for sure. All right. The other Spotify change is they're starting to bring their community features, uh, also just called the Friends Activity Feed, to the the mobile devices soon. And like initially, it seems kind of weird that the biggest social aspect of Spotify has never been available on their mobile apps. But maybe it's because no one uses it. Like I've been a huge Spotify user for I don't know, at least eight years, probably. And I, I've only like friended a couple of my actual friends inside of this app because I don't know, like it's just not a great experience. The the desktop app, it takes up a whole bunch of space on the sidebar. Like I'm not, and I'm not even friends with my wife on Spotify. We're in a family sharing account. <laughs> I want to make that our title so much, but it, I just can't do it. <laughs> but, yeah. So I mean, it's maybe coming soon. As far as I know, because I am friends. Like I, I, I do see activity feed from two people, and. Uh, one of them, I think, has these features turned off, so I can't even see what he's listening to anymore. But in this activity feed, it does show me what one of my friends is listening to when they're listening to stuff. But it seems like most people turn this off. I don't know if that's because they want to hide some of the music that they're listening to because they don't want to get made fun of. I don't know what it is, but most people seem to turn this off 
or don't pay attention to it at all. So we'll see if it gets a little bit cooler once they bring this to mobile, but I don't have high expectations. Yeah. Everyone's been trying to figure out how to make music social. I think Apple's done it two or three times now. I I just, I don't think it makes sense. I think it makes sense to share music and maybe, just maybe, there's an opportunity to do like the dual listening thing. I think there are a couple apps that do that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I really care that like you're listening to something like if you think there's something I'm going to like, you're going to tell me about it. Right. Or yeah, you'll go I, through I a sharing feature. Right. Right. Now I, I do occasionally like share playlists with people and I have done the shared listening thing with Spotify a couple of times Yep, and it is nice, but it's kind of a buried feature. Like it, it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to use or else I probably would use it more because I've got some friends that can make some pretty killer playlists. So that's nice. But in terms of just like, oh, yeah, Richard's listening to Beethoven again. Cool. Actually, it's probably more likely Hans Zimmer again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. I I, I don't really need that. Okay. Gaming news. Uh, Oh, biggest story by far is that Sony has a new gaming brand of hardware devices, not by PlayStation, despite the fact that they all look like devices that would match with your PlayStation 5, and they all will work with your PlayStation 5. These are not PlayStation-branded devices. It's a new line uh, called InZone, which is a terrible name, and it's not even made by the PlayStation division of Sony. It's just Sony Corp. So kind of weird on the surface, but they're headsets and they're monitors. So it does actually make sense because... Sony Corp is the company that makes amazing headphones and amazing televisions. So it totally makes sense. It's just they also happen to look like PlayStation 5 accessories. So what do we have here? We have three new headsets, the H3, the H7, and the H9, priced $99, $229, and $299. Uh, the H3, the, the base model, is a wired headset uh, with 3.5 millimeter or USB so that you can connect it to PC or a game console, any game console. Um, and then the the 229, or sorry, the, the H7 and the H9, they're both wireless. Um, all of these, if you do connect them to a PlayStation 5, will support the PlayStation 5 Tempest 3D audio technology. That's, that's a, a fairly new thing with the PlayStation 5. And the H7 and the H9... They are dual mode wireless audio devices. And what that means is they have Bluetooth and they have a 2.4 gigahertz dongle. And importantly, you can use both of those at the same time. So if you're using the dongle uh, to connect to your PC and play PC games, you can have the Bluetooth connected to your phone and be listening to music or podcast on your phone, or maybe you're using your phone to chat with friends either on the phone or on Discord or something like that. Uh, all sorts of options there that you don't always see in, in other wireless headsets. The top of the line model, the H9, also has noise cancellation. And Sony makes some really good noise canceling headphones. So uh, these, are, these are supposed to be very good. Uh, if you're looking for a new headset, 
probably worth checking these out as long as you're cool with bright white headsets. Maybe you don't want that. Maybe at home you don't care, but a bright white headset out in public, I think seems kind of weird. Um, the other thing is uh, with the PlayStation 5, if you pair them with a the PlayStation 5, these are the only headsets other than the official PlayStation headsets that will give you the on-screen notifications for things like when you change volume, you can actually see what you what's what level you have the volume set to, which is a nice feature. Xbox doesn't do anything like that. That's kind of cool. So that's the headsets. They also have two gaming monitors that they're coming out with. The M3 and the M9. There's no middle ground here. And in Gadget, only has information about the M9, which comes out this summer. The M3 doesn't come out until this winter. So I don't know how many of these specs will also apply to the M3, but the M9 sounds pretty sweet. It's $899, which is not cheap, but this is a 27-inch 4K IPS panel that has a 144 hertz refresh rate. It supports variable refresh rate and NVIDIA G-Sync. Kind of uniquely, it's Display HDR 600. So it does HDR up to 600 nits, which is frankly brighter than most HDR gaming monitors that I see out there. Many of them are just HDR 400. And at 400, you're not really going to notice that. Like, you're just going to, like, you're going to be able to tell your friends you have an HDR monitor, but you're not going to see HDR with a Display HDR 400 monitor. Sorry. The really nice thing about this is while it is an IPS, you know, an LED display, this has full array local dimming, 96 zones of local dimming on a 27-inch display. That is a crazy amount of local dimming. And what that means is um, that's 96 separate areas where they're lighting from from. The, the backlighting on the display. And when it's that many zones, that means that they're all pretty small. So if you've got dark things and really bright things that are fairly close to each other, because there's so many different lights, you're probably not going to have uh, lots of big halo uh, effects that you would get from uh, from a display that has far fewer backlights and it and so that gives you a much better contrast ratio now is it oled no but it's going to be way better than a lot of the gaming monitors that are out there right now it also has all of the the popular common or the the new high-tech ways of connecting things you've got two hdmi 2.1 ports on it display port 1.4 and USB-C. And it's got other stuff like a built-in KVM if you've got this plugged into multiple computers and stuff like that. This is a sweet monitor. The only thing that I don't love about it is that it's only 27 inches. Like that's kind of small. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. got a 34 inch, I think this LG is that I'm looking at right now. And I, I wouldn't want to go smaller. But if you are in a spot where like you've got a, a small desk and you really just can't go bigger than 27 inch. But you're also a big time gamer. This this might be the monitor for you. Like this might be the. When I finished reading this article, I thought, is it possible that the best monitor that you could hook your Xbox Series X up to is made by Sony? 
it might just be. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and therein is why these are not PlayStation branded, right? It makes sense to have something separate from the PlayStation brand if you're going to use all of your audio and video expertise to come out with gaming products that could be used on other platforms. Right. Right. And and for for PC gamers to to want to uh, rush to these, and it makes sense because Sony has been pushing more into the PC gaming space with their games, you know, for forever, like until just a couple of years ago. Sony games were only available on PlayStation, and very recently they've started bringing their biggest hits to PC. You can now play God of War and. Horizon and and all of these games on PC and now you can do it on really nice Sony hardware too. So th- these are cool and I I can't wait to see some some more reviews and I'm very curious to see what that M3 monitor is going to offer. I wonder if it's going to be similar stuff but smaller. Don't really know. Um but either way, this looks like a really fantastic monitor to pick up if you are a gamer. Okay. Now some Xbox stuff. Uh, The Xbox app is now available on Samsung TVs. In what I think was the last episode, we talked about how Microsoft has been working on potentially making their own streaming stick for their Xbox uh, cloud game streaming service. And they're basically scrapping it and like starting over on that idea. But when they announced that they were trying to find a better solution for that. They did announce this is still coming to TVs. And here it is. If you have a 2022 Samsung TV, you can now install the Xbox app right on the TV from the Samsung Gaming Hub and connect your Bluetooth game controller and an Xbox controller, a, a PlayStation DualSense. <laughs> like if you've got a PlayStation 5 and no Xbox, Take your PlayStation DualSense, pair it to your Samsung TV, and now you can do Xbox cloud game streaming right on your TV. Uh, It will cost you $15 a month to have access to Game Pass Ultimate for the cloud game streaming, unless you want to play Fortnite. You can do that for free through streaming, and they are planning to add more free-to-play games available for free through the service. Uh, But that's now available, and and I... That's that's great. I've not heard any reviews yet to, to hear how well it works. But if you've got a really solid network connection to your TV, this should work pretty well. So is this the first device that this is available on? Outside of phones and computers and tablets? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. I'm, I'll be eager to hear how this is because I think this is a really really cool solution for sure for sure yeah uh also related to xbox cloud gaming uh they're adding support for keyboard and mouse to cloud gaming on a pc so that's a lot of qualifiers there but currently if you're doing xbox cloud gaming on a pc you have to use a controller but if you're a PC gamer, you probably would really prefer to use a keyboard and mouse. That is coming very, very soon. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this just hit the, the news tonight. Uh, Xbox Games with Gold. This is the uh, 
typically four games that you get for free every single month if you have an Xbox Live Gold subscription. Uh, basically, since, well, I don't think this this uh, program started until about a year after the Xbox One launched, so probably 2014 timeframe. Since then, it, it's basically every month, Ben, you get two Xbox One games and two Xbox 360 games. Sometimes original Xbox games, but typically Xbox 360. And Xbox has announced tonight that starting in October of this year, they're no longer going to be giving out Xbox 360 games. I think they've just run out of games from the 360 to give. <laughs> <laughs> like the Obviously, there are more games available that they've never given away. But man, the last year and a half of games with gold has not been good, and especially on the Xbox 360 side. Uh, and now the Xbox 360, that's an old console. Like I don't want I don't typically want to be playing games that are that old anymore. So the the timing makes sense here. My only question is, will we still get four games a month? They'll just be four Xbox One games? Oh, I very seriously doubt that. <laughs> That'd be nice. I very seriously doubt that. Yeah, probably not. Because the Xbox One games that they've been giving out with Games with Gold also haven't been very good for the last year, year and a half, or roughly about the time that Xbox Game Pass got really good. It's almost like they'd prefer you just sign up for Xbox Game Pass instead, which you should. So Yeah, you have to imagine they're going to phase this out at some point. Um, I think they'll keep it as long as PlayStation is doing the same thing. Makes and, sense. Uh, PlayStation does it better, like pretty much every month. The games that PlayStation makes available for free to to PlayStation Plus subscribers are way better, way better games. So it just seems like an antiquated model that you have to go, you have to remember to actually download the game and then keep it in a library to be able to use it. It's just it's it's such an old model. It is for sure, for sure. But uh, but to clarify, you're not losing access to them. If you've been downloading these 360 games religiously every month for the last eight years or whatever, they'll all still be available. Yep. You know, you'll still be able to, to install these and play them. You're just not going to get any new ones. All right. Well, that's it for what's going on in the news. Richard, what's going on in your entertainment center over the last five weeks? I have watched so much television. It's not going to take a long time, though, because the list itself is short. So Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Wow. This first season has been fantastic. Season finale is coming up. I am caught up. Even though the last episode seemed very much like a season finale, the actual season finale is coming up uh, in just a night or two. I am all caught up on Doctor Who now. There's one more special with the current Doctor, and then they'll be transitioning to the new cast next season. We finished watching Grace and Frankie. The second half of the final season came out on that. So that ended and that was nice. It was, it's it, always a fun show. So we enjoyed that. We just finished Stranger Things season four since the last couple of episodes of those came out. I think we watched all of that. In fact, from the the next couple of things I'm saying have all happened since we've uh, last talked. We watched all of season Stranger Things season four. I binged all of season three of Love, Victor. I binged all of season two of Hacks. 
I rewatched all of season one and I'm halfway through season two of For All Mankind in anticipation of seeing season three. I hadn't yet seen season two, so I'm watching that for the first time. Season three is out now. I want to watch that. Westworld season four is out, so I want to rewatch season three. Haven't done that. That's next after For All Mankind. Started watching. For those of you who watch For All Mankind, you'll understand why the Bob Newhart show. I first saw this, I think, when I was 10. (laughs) It's still funny, and it's available on Hulu. So I've been enjoying just watching 25 minutes of that every once in a while. When I don't have time for another hour show, I'll just watch something fun. And then on the longer side of things, been watching the uh, January 6th hearings, watched a couple movies, The Lost City, which was a lot of fun Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Watched Fantastic Beats Secrets of Dumbledore, which I thought was an enormous waste of time. I think two and a half hours <laughs> of a waste of time. And then finally, finally made it to a movie theater to see Lightyear. And I enjoyed it. It was good. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. It was good. I think the reviews for it are appropriate. I don't think it's in any way tedious. I think it's a fun story. It just didn't live up to the amazingness that people expect from Pixar. Metacritic gives it a 60. Yeah. I would give it a three and a half out of five stars. Okay. All right. Yeah, I saw your tweet from the movie theater. Um, Did the theater stay as empty as when you took that picture? (laughs) Right. So for context, when we got there, there was no one else in the theater at all. And by the time the movie started, there were maybe three or four other groups of people that came in, but it was largely empty, which was why I went when we went. I, I picked a theater that, Look like it was going to be largely empty. So. <laughs> and did you go at like 11 a.m. or something like that? Well, initially we were going to go at 10 and ended up going at 1230 on a Sunday, right? So people have better things to do on a holiday weekend on a Sunday at noon. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you were finally able to make it back to the theaters. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. It's nice. just as awful as it's always been. <laughs> <laughs> and wonderful. Like there's there's good benefits to being a sure theater. popcorn. And the giant screen and the sound. And the overly loud sound system. Yes. Sometimes overly loud. You get used to it. <laughs> All right. How about you? Okay. Well, I was on a transatlantic flight uh twice since I did need to get back home. Um the flight over was nighttime, so I did try and do some sleeping. So didn't watch as much, but I did start watching um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm. I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, I haven't I really seen it yet. To, to go back and finish that. It was, it was really enjoyable. Um, and then on the flight home, I saw that they had Parasite. And I've been wanting to watch Parasite for a long time. And, um, you know, it's an airplane. And all, all I've known about this movie is that it's supposed to be really good and that it's like people describe it as like it's sort of in the horror genre or at least just kind of weird and they don't and people don't want to tell you anything about it at all. And have you seen it Richard? 
Yeah, it's okay. so good. It's I loved this film. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I what I know is that for movies like this especially, they they do edit like at least I've heard that they edit some of these movies for consumption on an airplane because you you never know exactly who's within viewing distance and stuff. And there is a warning that pops up that says, can you just look around you to see who can see your screen before you watch this movie? And so I did. And, and there weren't like any children nearby or anything like that. Like I was across the aisle from my children and all of that stuff. So um, I wasn't too worried about that until it got to like the real climax of the movie, which I'm not going to say anything about. Um, but it's like, okay, this is about to get real. I'm going to stop this and I'll finish it when I get home. Um, I, I don't understand what all the fuss was about this movie. Like maybe you and I need to talk after the show because like it was interesting. I'm not saying it was a bad movie. It wasn't a bad movie, but it, it was just fine. Like this isn't a movie that I think anybody needs to go and watch. Like it, it's fine. And if you've got Hulu and you have absolutely nothing else to watch, then go ahead and watch this, I guess, as long as you don't mind subtitles, because it is a Korean movie and you have to read subtitles. Yeah. Um, but the act and the acting is good and, and all of that stuff for sure. Like gr- great actors. It's, I just didn't find it to be that interesting of a story. Huh? Wow. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. So that's it for what I've watched. Um, in terms of games, uh, Diablo Immortal came out uh, in in the five weeks since we've last recorded, which is a Diablo game for mobile. This is a game that when it was first announced had Diablo fans so pissed off um, because people wanted Diablo 4, the next like console and PC game. And instead, Blizzard was like, no, we're, we're making one for mobile. Why are you mad, bro? Like, don't you have a phone? And Everyone was like, well, we don't want mobile games. And since it's released, this game has gotten tons of negative press because like the end game mechanics get kind of sleazy with microtransactions and, and all that sort of crap. But I got to tell you, I've got a couple dozen hours into it probably. I'm not to the end game yet. I have spent zero money. I have felt zero need to spend any money. I've just been enjoying the hell out of a really good Diablo game on my phone. And and it's cost me nothing. So if you're interested in Diablo-type games, and you've got a phone that has roughly 15 gigs available of storage, um, check it out, because it's really good. Like, stop listening to the haters and just go check it out, and I bet you will get dozens of hours of enjoyment out of it. It's really good. Cool. Uh, on Xbox, Fall Guys came to Xbox and it's now free to play. That game is hilarious and fun. Uh, definitely check that out. I believe Fall Guys is now free to play on every platform. So there's really no reason not to check it out. It is a like s- roughly 60, I think it's 60 player. Um, it's almost like if Squid Games was a family friendly video game. Uh, that's, that's what it is. It's like 60 people running through a crazy obstacle course. 
and a bunch of people get eliminated and then they do another ridiculous game and they eliminate a bunch of people and it's the last person standing and you unlock various ridiculous cosmetics for your goofy looking little character and it's fun it's really fun so check that out uh naraka blade point it's probably a game that like almost no one's heard of unless you really really paid attention to the xbox totally not e3 showcase that happened a few weeks ago uh it's a new game on Xbox Game Pass, so this is free if you've got Game Pass. And it's a melee sword, I guess it's got crossbows too, so it's not entirely melee, but a martial arts battle royale game. So think Fortnite, but martial arts and and that sort of style uh, and no building because Fortnite's dumb. And I, I checked it out. I played, I played like the tutorial and one match. It's kind of cool. Like I, I think I might, I, I think I might play it again, especially if I could get some of my friends to to check it out with me. It's different. Um, I, I I definitely would need to to practice a little bit more, but I I had fun with it. And then lastly, forever ago, when I first got my Switch and went on like a buying spree during like a Christmas sale on the the Nintendo Switch eShop, I bought a game that actually started its life as a mobile game. That is called Bury Me, My Love. And I've I'd never played it. And I thought, well, I've got some time on this trip and I've got my Switch. I'm gonna play this game. And this is a game that um <laughs> my 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 daughter saw me playing it and she's like, What are you doing? And I said, I'm I'm playing a game. And she's like, You're not pushing any buttons. Are you sure you're playing a game? <laughs> Like you're not doing anything. Uh, you don't really do much because it's really more of a uh it's almost more of like a choose your own adventure kind of thing where the entire game takes place as uh text message conversation. Uh you are a a husband um and you are text messaging with your wife. You are from Syria and your wife is trying to uh, escape Syria. And then eventually the plan is for you to join her wherever else she's going to end up in Europe to escape the war in Syria. Um, so it's a pretty serious game. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like it's definitely not, you know, an action packed game where you're pushing lots of buttons. You're just pushing a over and over again and occasionally selecting a different dialogue option. Um, and it's good. But I'm kind of pissed off at the game because the whole game is just reading text on the screen and, and occasionally they send each other photos, right? That's the whole game. You don't need headphones. You don't need audio at all, which made playing it even easier. Except when you get to the very end, the wife sends you an audio message. You only get one opportunity to listen to it. So, And then the game is over and you can start over and choose different options. I did not have my headphones plugged in. I was oh. on an airplane where it's loud. I have no idea what the final message was that she sent me. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. So mad. And I'm not going to replay it again. <laughs> like, I'm just so mad. Uh, I do recommend the game, but just be prepared. Like, play in a place where you can listen to the end of it. Because That's funny. It's... It was enjoyable and it's dirt cheap because it's a mobile game. So you can get this on mobile or on switch for probably less than $10. 
and it, it, it's worth checking out. That's it. That's it for me, which is a lot, <laughs> a lot more than usual. Uh, so if you would like to get a hold of us, you can find us on a lot of places on Twitter. We're at, at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, and at DigiMediaZone. Um, you can go to our website to get all of the detailed show notes, uh, links to everything that we talked about, including that Seton proxy tool that we talked about at the beginning of the show. We've got links to all of it. The other thing we've got over at the Digital Media Zone is Richard's other podcast called Home On. Richard, what's going on with Home On? The last episode was a manager from Leviton. I learned how to pronounce Leviton. <laughs> it's not Leviton, as we've all been saying our entire lives. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about the different products they were coming out with, including one that came out the day we released the episode. So uh, check that out if you haven't heard that already. And then coming up, I'm going to be taking a look at the do it for me space. This is when Folks at home are like, yeah, maybe I just don't want to have to bother installing that lock. I'll have somebody do it for me. And we're going to have Robert Spivak, an integrator who works specifically in that space. We're not talking about multi-thousands of dollars types of projects necessarily. These are just you know, small projects that are too much for you to take on yourself. So I, I think this is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, door locks, smart thermostats, the types of things that like, I don't want to screw up my HVAC system. So yeah, that sort of stuff. Or even I want smart lighting. I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Who do right. I talk to? Right. There are people you can talk to. So obviously I'm biased in my love for Homan and, and why I love Homan. But that episode with with the guy from Leviton, with, with Greg Rhodes from Leviton, I, I have not been as excited about new smart home products as I was listening to that episode and in, in months, maybe years, like they have some really cool new products that they're releasing. So great episode of home on. Thank you. And, um, funny enough, I've never been so excited about a new product as I am with their new keypad that yeah. they just released. And I have an article on the DMZ about that. If you're interested in checking that out. Absolutely. Go, go and check out both of them. All right. And uh, then come back here, right here uh, on Tuesday nights, 8.30 p.m. Eastern is when we typically record the show. Why do you care when we record it? Well, because we also almost always record it live. Uh, so you can watch it at the DMZ. You can watch it on Twitch if you subscribe to us over there. Uh, and it's not just watching. It's also participating because there's a chat room and you can communicate with us while we're doing the show and be a part of the show. So Tuesday nights, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, or just follow us on Twitter and join us then because that's going to do it for episode 591. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.